In a situation of conflict, there are usually two sides, but in Colombia, it's not that simple. There has been conflict for over half a century in Colombia due to the underlying problems of land distribution, corruption, wage gaps, and lack of governance in vast areas as the country is just geographically huge. The Colombian National Army, paramilitary organizations, and guerrilla groups have all been involved in the conflict, as each believe they are in the best position to control the state and bring security to its citizens. Don't worry, this podcast isn't going to try to convince you to take sides. It won't even focus too much on this historically prolonged state of conflict, because this podcast is about post-conflict Colombia, after a peace agreement that was settled in November 2016. So that means not much conflict to talk about, right? Again, with Colombia, things are not this simple. The government wants to involve us in their army, in the police, in their informants network. The guerrillas want us to get involved in the revolutionary story, the fight for power. But the war hurts our culture, our language, our ways. These poignant words of an indigenous leader encapsulates the focus of this podcast. We will be exploring the continuity of conflict in post-conflict Colombia imposed onto indigenous communities. The Nasa people are one of the largest of 92 indigenous communities in Colombia. They reside in Cauca and Tierra Dentro is an example of land in Cauca that is restricted to Nasa people only. It seems noteworthy that the Nasa UA language does not have a term for peace because it almost characterises the Nasa people's reality following Colombia's 2016 peace accord. This peace agreement did not bring peace for the Nasa people, nor the rest of the country for that matter. Yet, President Santos received a Nobel Peace Prize for settling this agreement. Has peace lost its meaning in this discourse? The state has a responsibility to look after its society so that its citizens want to be loyal to them, rather than to other non-state actors. So when the Colombian government agreed to a ceasefire after 52 years of fighting with the most active guerrilla group following the Colombian Peace Accord, why does the state still face challenges in its implementation? Peace agreements imply that we move from a static space of war to a static space of peace. On the contrary, transitional justice calls for a new system of law that can mediate the violence still prevalent in post-conflict states like Colombia. Therefore, we can see that what is fundamentally wrong with the Colombian Peace Accord is that it defines conditions required for peace. But peace is a process. Peace must be built through societal transformation and reform. Dr. Catherine Turner, author of Violence, Law and the Impossibility of Transitional Justice, is here with us to now answer a few questions that I am sure we are all burning to ask. So let's jump straight in. Could you tell us, what are the other key features of transitional justice? One of the most interesting themes that's coming out in transitional justice research at the minute is this course of transition itself isn't neutral, you know, and that there are kind of vested interests that lie behind what people will sign up to, what they'll agree to and what they won't. Transitional justice was, was always meant to be sort of a political compromise form of dealing with past injustices because it's the only way that you're going to potentially bridge those competing positions. But surely this just increases tensions. I thought transitional justice should bring an end to conflict. 
know, law is by its very definition a sort of a, a win-lose type of approach to things, and that'll always be the case. So there'll always be someone who's not happy with the outcome of a legal decision that has been made. So to say that we're looking for an end to conflict that's gone on for the number of years that the Colombian conflict has been going on for, I think sets it up to fail from the beginning because it's very, very unlikely that you're going to have sufficient agreement between all parties, all groups in Colombia. And so for me, the end or the, the satisfactory kind of goal of transition is to instill ethics of respect, for example, and robust processes whereby that conflict is held politically and not violently. So then what's wrong with the November 2016 peace accord in Colombia? We take this peace agreement as the signalling of the conditions in which there will be an end. How it's worded is going to be ambiguous in order to get the FARC and the government to sign up to the same agreement. Um, and the problems happen then when you start to get into the interpretation and the implementation of what these terms in the agreement actually mean. Um, so in Colombia, land distribution, for example, and who would be the beneficiaries of that? You know, how is that framed within international trends in terms of what a transition should look like and so what has largely been lost in the drive towards transitional justice has been the idea that your end point needs to be a process whereby you can challenge those disagreements into a process that allows each affected party or each affected group to feel like they at least have a say you know that there's some potential that their interests are, are protected and looked after in this the November 2016 peace accord has allowed us to differentiate the efficacy of historic peace agreements and the newly accepted model of transitional justice. Peace cannot be defined by one sovereign power structure. It must re-articulate the state so that it incorporates the interests of all those who fought against the state when it failed to adequately protect its citizens. It again seems apt that the Nasa people have no word for peace because instead, translates to live in delicious harmony in the Nasa Yue language. Transitional justice does not mean peace. It works to live in harmony with many mechanisms, not just one peace agreement, that will allow the Nasa people and rest of Colombia to come to terms with its history of constant conflict. Meet Manuel Perez Martinez. He is a Spanish priest who describes for us the different sources of violence that fuel the conflict in Colombia. Violence is letting thousands and thousands of children die of hunger. The UN Development Programme released a report stating that of the 1.4 million indigenous people in Colombia, 6 out of 10 experience structural poverty and the majority of children suffer chronic malnutrition. Violence is an army which massacres indiscriminately. Paramilitary groups waging dirty wars and killing with impunity. Despite the November 2016 peace accord, the Nasa people were attacked by paramilitaries in Cauca, resulting in the assassination of Nasa organizer Javier Oteca on 29th March 2017. The perpetrators were allowed to flee the scene dressed as farmers, although the killing was witnessed in broad daylight just metres from the Colombian National Army. We can see how the Nasa people continue to suffer the different forms of violence described by the Spanish priest, but I failed to mention that Manuel Perez Martinez was also a guerrilla. 
The two main guerrilla groups in Colombia are the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC, and the National Liberation Army, otherwise known as ELN. If you are not already wondering whether Manuel Perez Martinez is one of the good guys or one of the bad guys, I must finally reveal that he was not only a Spanish priest and a guerrilla, but he was also the head of the ELN. This is why he didn't say, violence is the multiplicity of guerrilla organisations intensifying the unauthorised conflict over power. He said, we don't want violence, we want peace. But obviously, peace starts with the protection of life. This illustrates guerrilla ideology because they defend the people from extreme government corruption. But does this justify their equally violent actions? The Nasa people would fail to agree. They only defend themselves with sticks and stones to uphold their attitude of non-violence and unwillingness to contribute to the conflict. Indigenous communities were traditionally perceived as powerless against attacks from the army. But the Nasa people demonstrate local organisation that provides civilians with means to protect themselves. For example, the Nasa people base economic development on sustainable agriculture and by increasing political awareness has been remarkably effective in reducing poverty. It even received international recognition by the Equator Initiative of the UNDP for its outstanding success. NASA group leaders protect their populations by emphasising on social cohesion through collective decision-making in the NASA courts, thus avoiding intra-community conflicts. When they catch, arrest and sentence armed officers, they even make a ceremony of disarming and destroying their weapons, providing moral dissuasion from joining these armed groups and the conflict imposed upon them. In 1971, the Regional Indian Council of Kauka was formed and was most important for the Nasa people because it issued the Declaration of Mbalo in 1985, which demanded their autonomy from the guerrillas and other armed groups. Yet, paramilitaries still failed to respect their autonomy, in spite of this and the November 2016 peace accord, as seen through their assassination of Nasa organiser Javier Oteca on 29th March 2017. However, on the 31st of March 2017, 2,000 NASA people came together on the Pan American Highway to protest this killing and denounce the continued violence in post-conflict Colombia. Transitional post-conflict countries require all groups and the state to learn to accommodate difference in order to settle past conflicts. Therefore, such protests portray a lack of unity in this sense. This tends to put protests in a negative light, but this should not be the case for peaceful protests like what the NASA people led on the Pan American Highway. Let's bring back Dr. Catherine Turner to try to better understand why. There has been a history of protest being effectively used within the law itself to make change in conflict and post-conflict countries. What you're not doing in those circumstances is trying to change the system. You're saying these are the principles that the state has signed up to and that therefore we're holding you accountable for your failure not to give effect to them. This is the only way that we can have our voice heard. So the NASA people were not fighting against the law. They were fighting to maintain the law as established by the peace accord. Then why don't the rest of Colombia protest peacefully like the NASA people? 
you know, also with the peaceful protest, you're still operating within the violence of the system itself. So the fact that the system is weighted against you, the fact that you can't have your voice heard within the system, gives rise to such frustration. As that feeling of dissatisfaction grows, the risk becomes higher and higher. That the view is that the only way to challenge that system is through actual physical violence itself. Now that's a risk, obviously, because all conflict and post-conflict states remain divided over the legitimacy of the use of violence against the state particularly. And so you won't know if it's going to be successful or if it's going to wipe out your political cause altogether. That's the gamble. So is a peaceful protest Colombia's best bet? Peaceful protest is effective and can make change within the law. But it's circumscribed, if you like, or it's curtailed by what the law is willing to allow you to challenge. Peaceful protest around the world is largely valued in terms of what it says, not only about the demands that are being made, but also about the willingness of the state to respect that protest and the ability of the state to take on board or to listen to what's being said without viewing that peaceful protest as a challenge to its own fundamental nature. So a state that is genuinely strong should be able to withstand peaceful protest. It's where a state is vulnerable in its own foundations and worried about being challenged, worrying about overthrow of the nature of the state. That's when we start to see disproportionate response, violent response, that then reveals the fact that the state is insecure in its foundations and there's something bigger going on, a challenge to the state itself, rather than just simply a challenge to the way in which something is, is being done within that state. The continuity of conflict in post-conflict Colombia is thus a result of its history of ongoing violence that remains to this day despite recent peace agreements. For over half a decade, the Colombian government and non-state actors like the FARC have fought for power as each believe they are in the best position to control the state and bring security to its citizens. So considering this recent history, we can understand that Colombia remains vulnerable to the risk of an overthrow, which is why the NASA people face such disproportionate responses to their acts of non-violence, like Javier Oteca's assassination. In most democratic legal systems, states aspire to replace violence with law, but the Colombian Peace Accord exemplifies how at every moment of establishing such laws, there is a moment of violence that precedes it. Whichever party involved in the conflict is deemed victorious, their violent contributions to the conflict is somewhat forgotten, as it is legitimated by the authority of law that recognises their victory. So we can see that the losing side of a conflict is the innocent victims, like the NASA people, because they are fated with yet another rule of law that disguises another rule of force. In this way, violence and law are intrinsically connected and cannot be separated, because we overcome the violence of past laws by establishing new laws this reveals the fundamentally inadequate nature of law in most democratic legal systems. So how could we expect post-conflict states like Colombia to overcome its immense history of violence? You know, I think the key thing with the transitional states is it's not saying, well, you know, these states are damaged and we'll never be able to make them good. It's saying that actually we're holding them to a higher standard. We're saying that they've got to achieve something that no established democratic state has managed either. There's always conflict. There's always going to be a need to find ways to make sure that conflict is, is political and not violent. So I have tried to answer as many questions as possible, but many still remain. Will the NASA people's peaceful protest receive an effective response? Or will they continue to be ignored? 
will violence ever cease in the rest of Colombia? Although transitional justice cannot provide us with all the answers. Ongoing management of a conflict is something that's productive, something that trains them in ways of respecting each other, of recognising the needs of each other and trains people in terms of how to be together, how to live together. Or in the words of the NASA people, to live in delicious harmony.